You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Sean Busby, it is an honor to have you on Real Faith Stories. I am really looking forward to you sharing what God has done, what a mighty work he's done in your life. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Brian. I got to tell you, since you've invited me, I've listened to some of your podcasts. I just got to say, I know that you say this in our conversations, that excellence is important to you. Well, your podcast and these stories and these beautiful people, man, I believe that you achieve excellence on this podcast. And I'm so grateful for your ministry here, man. Thanks for the invite today. Mm, Thank you for saying that. You're so welcome. I'd love for you, Sean, to share some of your backstory and move into a radical life-changing event that occurred in your late 20s, early 30s. Just give the microphone over to you to share your story. Please go ahead. I had a a single mom basically raising me for the majority of my life. And that can be a tough time. I didn't realize that the shuffling back and forth and the four stepdads and, and smoking weed with both of my parents and drinking and my parents throwing keg parties I didn't really see the wound and the harm that that was causing until much later on in my life. I will fast forward to being a star athlete in high school, to just skimming by to graduate high school due to drugs and alcohol. And I finally somehow made it into college. And then rather than to pursue athletics as the vision had always been to do, I went to college and I joined a fraternity And in a fraternity and at college is where I really, really let the drugs and the alcohol truly get a hold of me. And when I talk about the drugs, I'm not just talking about marijuana. You know, I got deep into methamphetamines and alcohol and barbiturates and and just pretty much anything that was available in college. And so I got kicked out of college for burning down homecoming floats. It's kind of a funny story. I went to Northeastern State University. I was a fifth year sophomore. When I got to college, I just felt like finally I've arrived. I never made any plans to leave. I joined a fraternity. I became the social chair of the fraternity, which is an office that's only supposed to be held for a semester. I held the social chair, which is the party planner of the fraternity for three consecutive years. And that's what I did. I, pl- I planned the parties And I took some really, really difficult classes. I took walking for fitness. I took intro to billiards, intro to guitar. I took ballroom dancing one and two. These are the kind of classes that I was blowing my parents' money on and getting student loans to do. I never had any intentions on actually leaving college. I had so much fun. And our fraternity always won homecoming. And we made these huge homecoming floats. And for three or four years in a row, we always won homecoming. Well, we got second place to the Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity. I was a Kappa Sigma and we got second place to the Lambda Chi's. And so I started drinking early that day and grabbed a big group of the pledges. And I came up with this brilliant idea. And sometimes when I drink, I come up with these brilliant ideas. (laughs) And I thought, you know, what we'll do is we'll go down and we'll burn down the Lambda Chi float and that will make a statement. And then we will be the winners. Somehow it made sense to me. Dude, what a great idea. It was brilliant. And so in this moment of brilliance, I grabbed the pledges and they lit that float on fire. Well, these floats are made from spray painted paper and plywood. And so they're super flammable. And in a matter of seconds, all 12 floats on these huge semi trailers on this (laughs) parking lot in this campus were ablaze. And so needless to say, I left college in a blaze. I got kicked out 
And I followed suit with what my father did. My father was in the car business for all my life. He was very successful in it. And so I thought I would just jump in somewhere where I had some history and seen my dad have some success. And so I worked in the car business as a salesperson and I worked 60, sometimes 70, 80 hours a week meeting clients, making appointments, selling cars one day off a week. And it was a very taxing, grueling industry to work in. And my drug abuse was very, it was patchy. It would happen here. And then I would clean up and I would drink here and then I would clean up. And I met a sweet girl and I was in love and I got married and I made her my God. Brian, and I've done that throughout my life. I've made women my God. And a lot of times when I make anything other than Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, my God, I I will feel turbulence and ultimately will fall. And that's what happened. This young lady left me. And when she did, I just didn't know how to breathe. I, I, I just could not live without my God, without this human being. And so I hit the one button I know how to hit, and that is the drug button. And I got extremely, extremely strung out on methamphetamines. And my best friend through all of this, his name was Creek. And Creek was an amazing friend to me, but we got way into drugs together. And Creek was a burglary homicide detective for a town in Oklahoma, I won't mention. And you know what we ended up ultimately doing because he would do these drugs with me, even as a burglary homicide detective, is he got in the evidence locker. Wow. And he would bring the drugs to me and I would sell them on the street. And these evidence lockers that he would bring the the drugs from, they were just manila envelopes. So we didn't know what was in them. So yes, when he would show up with two duffel bags of these manila envelopes, we had every sin known to man. And when I say that, we had drugs, every drug, guns, money, jewelry, knives, all these things. The enemy showed up, I mean, gave me absolutely every sinful thing I could absolutely ever want. And within a matter of 60 days, the FBI and the DEA, they kicked in my door on 6-7-08. That was the day I'll never forget. One thing I'll remember about this, because I got a knock on my door on this early morning, and I answered it, and this lady said, you know, Sean, and I looked through the people, I said, yeah. And she said, Sean Busby. And ooh, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I said, yeah. And they kicked my door in and DEA and the OSBI and the FBI and all these people here because they knew we'd been under investigation. They knew where all these drugs were coming from. And when they kicked that door in, Brian, I said one phrase. The lady said, you're under arrest, blah, blah, blah. And I just said, Jesus, help me. And the lady got down in my face and she goes, what'd you say? What'd you just say? And I cried and I whispered, Jesus, help me. And she got really close to my ear and she whispered, I think he is right now. And it didn't feel like it. But now that I look back at that day, I can realize that that was God breaking in. Come on. With his radical light through the darkness, the darkest of time. I was an intravenous heroin and methamphetamine junkie who was selling drugs and DJing at a strip club and getting these drugs from a narcotics evidence locker. And I was being federally indicted and there was just no hope for me. And I was at the absolute darkest place I've ever been in my life. I was being federally indicted, as was my friend. I didn't know what was going to happen with my life, but I knew I had to get out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was all over the news. This was primetime news. I had so much guilt and shame. All of my friends and family and co-workers and teachers, they all saw it. This was before social media. So we watched the news every night in my face and mugshot 
was on this news. And that finally provided enough shame and enough guilt and enough fire in me that I knew I had to get out of that town. There was nothing but drugs and turmoil and shame and bad things there. And so I left and I didn't know how I was going to fund this move. But I went out, I was staying with my mom at the time and I had walked out to her mailbox and I found a check for $272 and it was made out to me. And this was a hail damage check from six months ago that finally found me. And so I went to the only place I could really afford to go to was the next town over. I moved to Oklahoma City and I stopped and I didn't really know how to get around Oklahoma City. Again, this is before smartphones. We had maps everywhere. So I went to the only place I knew I could get back to, which is this little hotel right by Frontier City, which is our amusement park. So if I got lost, I could just ask the people in town, hey, where is this amusement park? If you could just get me to the amusement park, I could get to my hotel. And I paid the weekly rate at this Econo Lodge, and I hit my knees, and I just began to cry. I, I had a cricket phone that hadn't been paid. So I didn't have a phone. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any friends. It was only me in this little hotel room. And I hit my knees and I said to God, I said, okay, I know you want me to leave Tulsa. And I'm here in Oklahoma City. I, I'm lost. I'm broken. I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm scared to death. I don't know if I'm going to prison. What do you want me to do, God? I'm here. I'll do anything. And there was not an audible voice, but as I stood up, I caught sight of my old running shoes from college, which were packed with me, and an iPod shuffle that my grandma had given me. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to get out and run. He wanted me to get out and run. My dad was a runner. I watched him run my whole life. I I ran for a little bit in college. God had always pulled me a little bit to run. And so I did. I got out there and I put that little iPod shuffle on. And I weigh at this point, once I got off the drugs, I ate and drank absolutely everything. So I was massively obese, close to 300 pounds, trying to get out to where I could run a mile. And this little iPod shuffle was loaded with worship music. My grandmother, I give her all the credit. I am a product of her prayers. Thank you for good grandmas around Mm. the world speaking the word of Jesus. And my grandma had filled this little iPod shuffle with worship music. And so that's all I had to listen to. And so God got me in this place where I was running all alone and all I could listen to was worship and praise music. And when that happens, man, something starts to happen in your heart and something starts to happen in your mind. And I started to talk to God and I started to ask him, I'm here. I'm in this new town. I've got a little job over here waiting tables. I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm out here running. God, what is my next step? What would you have me do now? I'm here. If you'll rescue me, if you'll keep me out of prison, I'll serve you all my days. What's my next step? What do you want me to do? And I was ready for this epiphany, uh, this plan. And, and you know, all he would tell me is, I think you can go further and I think you can go faster and I want you to run harder. I just want you to run. And so I ran and I ran for miles and miles and I got to where I could run four miles and five and then 10. And I read somewhere in a runner's magazine that you should compliment your run with some resistance training and that it would really help me with my shape and my endurance. And so there was this little boxing gym on Western Avenue in Oklahoma City where I got a $20 a month membership. And I just went in there and I just started to do something. I started to do some curls and and some squats and some things like that. And I really liked the way that that complimented it. And then, you know, I waited tables rather than working 60 to 80 hours a week at the car lot, which I wanted to do, but they wouldn't hire me because of my bad background check. God said, no, I have to change everything. 
I got a job with less responsibility in hours, which was waiting tables in the service industry. And I would spend my day Googling cool places to run in Oklahoma City, fun <laughs> workouts from men's health, cool ways to get your abs sculpted. And I was just going and trying these things and falling in love with fitness. And about six months later, I was getting out of the shower. At this point in time, I had really, really started to go to church on Sundays to, to get up in the morning and start my day with prayer and read some books by Pastor Craig Rochelle and T.D. Jakes and Stephen Furtick. And I was really letting the word get in my head. And I got out of the shower and Brian, I had to twist. I had to hold onto a barn twist, but I looked in the mirror and I could see my abs. And I tell you <laughs> something, for a 285 pound man within six months to go and see his abdominal muscles and to be fit and healthy and losing weight and feeling close to God, the tears fell out of my eyes and it hit me like a ton of bricks and God nudged and suggested and, and made it a hundred percent clear to me that this is what I want you to do for other people. I want you to help them find themselves again and mm. to help them find a healthy, fit, Christ-centered quality of life. And so I set out to become a personal trainer. That's what I was going to do, man. So you had this moment where you twisted, you saw your abs, they've been gone for years, and the Lord says to you, this is what I want you to do with other people. This is the direction I'm moving you in. What was that like? God's moved and spoken to me in this radical way, I would say three different times in my life. When this happens, I have several triggers that let me know the Holy Spirit is near. Mm -hmm. For me, a lot of the times it's chills. A lot of the times it is tears. I, the Holy Spirit's so overwhelming, I can't help but to cry. And sometimes there is a voice that I don't hear, but that I can actually feel and it just rained down on me and it rocked my little heart and my world. And I called the first trainer that I knew and I said, Hey, what do I need to do to help other people fall in love with fitness? I took immediate action because delayed action, delayed obedience is disobedience. And I felt like this was my calling. And so immediately I started to take action. And uh, when the Holy Spirit moves and rocks me like that, there's no other answer other than let's do this exactly the way you want it mm -hmm. right now. This is a critical component, I sense, in your life story is immediate action. And I would suspect you coach people to do the same thing in their own life, right? Right. So why is immediate action so critical? When we talk about immediate action, let's talk about it in the context of change that we need to make. We only change for two reasons, because we want to or because we have to. And so when God says, hey, I'm asking you to change this area of your life or move in this area in your life. Do it because you want to do it, because God tells you to do it, because I don't want to wait until he puts me in the corner to where I absolutely have to do it. But unfortunately for me and most of the stories of people in recovery and addicts and things of this nature, we do not change when we see the light. I change when I feel enough heat. So when God calls, and I know it's his calling, I know to take immediate action because I don't want to feel heat. I don't need turbulence. I don't need to be corrected by the rod. I prefer the staff. That is why I take immediate action on something. So then you reached out to a trainer and you said, how can I connect to this to help other people? What happened next? Well, basically what I did was I went on a journey to get certified as a personal trainer, which I did. And I started training waiters and waitresses that I worked with. And let me tell you something, I love all the people in the service industry out there. But if you want to find an unreliable person to meet you at five or six o'clock in the morning, try to get a waiter or waitress up. 
meet you at the gym <laughs> at five or six a.m. in the morning. It is such a crapshoot. But you know, I started my business and my personal training by training other waiters and waitresses around me and the people at the gym would see me training my people and there would be so much intensity and passion and drive and encouragement that the other people that were working out in the gym would come and talk to me and say, hey, what does it cost for a session? Or how do your people get these amazing results? And within a matter of, I would say, six months, I was working 10 and 12 hour days again with back to back to back to back clients eating my lunch while I trained people. And I was very successful. I got to leave the service industry and devote all my time and attention to personal training. But I was a slave to it again. I was there at five in the morning. I didn't leave till six or seven o'clock at night. I was worn out. I was running on empty. And I thought, I've got to consolidate this. So what I thought I would do is boot camps were kind of a big thing that were running through the United States. And this is back in 2010. And so I went around to the boot camps all through Oklahoma City to see what group training and group fitness was like. And the ones that I went to, I got to tell you, they were not very challenging. They weren't very hard and they weren't very organized to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I think I can do this better and I think I can honor God with this. And so I went out and got a little parks approval and I put out flyers. I put these flyers out at YMCA's. They took them all down because it was a conflict of interest. I put them up at Subway. I put them at Jersey Mike's. I put them on cars. I put them on apartments. The Biggest Loser show came to town and they were doing uh, auditions. And I went out there and handed out these flyers for Camp Buzz because my last name is Busby is what it was called. And it had a, a picture of me on the front. And I just handed hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of these flyers out I think I had 85 Facebook friends at the time because Facebook was fairly new to me. And I made a post on Facebook. And the coolest thing here is a person I knew at this time had an envelope system with their finances. And one of them said tithe. And I said, what is tithe? And the young lady said, well, that's the first 10% of my income. I give that to the church. I said, you give 10% of your income to the church? I, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> and she said, I absolutely do. This is my bills and this is it. And she goes, and she showed me where it said in the Bible, to, this is the only spot it says to test me. And I thought, woo, I, I, I could get in on testing God one time because I really, really knew that I was called to do this group training thing. I told God, I was like, here's the deal. I've made $560 in the last two weeks personally training clients. So I, I'm going to take this $56, which I could do a whole lot with. And, I, and I'm not talking about a digital give or a check. 56 greenbacks. Because usually when the offering bucket would come by, I'd put a five in, maybe a, maybe a 10 if I was having a good week. But I put 10% of my income in there. And I said, God, I'm putting this in and I'm testing you. I want seven people at that boot camp. I want seven people at my little camp buzz park when it opens next week. And I put that $56 in there. And that morning at 5 a.m., I had a stopwatch and a headlight on with my camo pants and my little black sleeveless shirt. And I will tell you what, the coolest thing happened. 12 people showed up that morning <laughs> for the very first group fitness training that I ever did in my life. 15 minutes later, two more people came in and God not only did what I asked him to do, but he doubled it. This whole thing doesn't work. Life doesn't work unless we give. And so I gave my first tithe a few days before the boot camp opened. God doubled he doubled what I requested of him, and I have never been without ever since. He started a career right there. He started a calling right there. He started a ministry at Fit Camp 180 right there in that moment when I put him first in my finances. He met me not only halfway, but doubled what I asked him for. And so we began to 
do our little boot camp. And about six or seven months into this, 14 people had grown into 20 or 30. And Pastor Craig at Life Church was doing a series called Bold, and it really lit my heart on fire. And I was doing a 21-day fast. And I said, this is it. This is my part of the bargain. I told God, if you'll keep me out of prison, that I would honor him and glorify him in everything I do. And so at this boot camp in the park, I said, hey, guys, we're going to end the boot camp a little bit different this day. What I'd like to do, and I gave everybody an opportunity to out. I was scared to death. I'm going to put my hand in the middle here, and I'm just going to say a little prayer. This is my first company, and I, I-, I want to honor God with my company. If you don't feel comfortable, if it ruffles your feathers, please don't feel like you have to do it. And I put my hand in with my eyes closed and I said, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Keep us physically and spiritually fit in Jesus' name. Amen. And I looked up and everybody's hand was in too. And since then, when I vocally and boldly put God at the front of this group training ministry, he has just moved mountains and done so many awesome things through others' lives. And and it began to grow like wildfire there. We got cold and we moved into this gym. And then the gym turned our room into a smoothie bar, gave us a 24-hour notice to get out. And I had about 50 people. We went to another park and the park kicked us out because the homeowners didn't like us there. It was too loud. And my house burnt down on the same day that we got kicked out of that park. So I had 50. Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. What? So I literally have 50 boot campers, nowhere to train them at. They've already paid for the month. I get a knock on the door and everybody says, it's your house, it's your house. It's the top, it's burning. And my air conditioning unit at the top of my little townhouse caught fire and burned all the way down. I didn't have renter's insurance, didn't have a a stick of furniture. I didn't have any clothing. I had $2,000 to my name and I had the option to go and get a new apartment and some clothing. Or I could lease this little building that was in Edmond, Oklahoma, that leased for $1,800 a month. And I went all in. And I don't know who's listening to this podcast that needs to make a move, that God's calling them to do something. But you have to burn your boats and go all in. And I'm so thankful today that I didn't just go get an apartment, that I couch surfed and that I got the lease on that little building and and that I gave those people a place to train and I went all in for it. And I spent that $2,000 and leased this building and began to train people morning, noon and night there and have group classes with really good music. And there was prayer at the end of it and it began to grow and it began to grow. But there was this monkey on my back and there was this secret that nobody knew about. And that was that I was drinking a lot of vodka every single night. You know, I was still praying for people and helping people get fit. And I was working out and going to church. But when I got off work every night, I would drink to a blackout and nobody knew it. And, you know, in 2017, I had a staff of about 15 people. I had a junior partner. And we were the largest group training fitness facility in the state of Oklahoma that I know of, maybe the United States. And I had been drinking really heavily and I had gotten back into methamphetamines and the barbiturates. And I was out of control again. And I stepped into my office and there were a team of pastors, my partner, my entire staff, my best friend. They were all there and they did an intervention on me. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. And I went to treatment, drug and alcohol treatment, and I got clean and sober for 40 days there. And I came back and I gave recovery a about an 85% effort. And I relapsed again within four months. And this beautiful company that God had blessed me with and put in my life that had all these hundreds of people that worked out there, I watched my entire staff and my partner go down the road and take over 70% of those people with them while I was in treatment for the second time. And I came back to a company that was losing tens of thousands of dollars a month. And 
I was the laughing stock and embarrassment on social media and all these people who I'd loved and trained and helped. I let so many people down through this addiction and I lived this false life of this Christian man that loves God and is fitness. And I had relapsed and, and lied to so many people and I about burnt my ministry all the way to the ground. And it was the, the second scariest, darkest season of my life. And I thank God for it every day because if all those people wouldn't have walked out, I don't know that they would have got my attention enough mm. to be absolutely clean and sober from that day forward to this day now. And throughout that transition, we have rebuilt Fit Camp 180 back up. I've met the love of my life. I had a beautiful child. He's three years old. I'm just loving God, loving people, working hard every day. It was the scariest thing ever building it back up. So much financial fear, so much insecurity, so much forgiveness that I had to walk through and see that it, it wasn't those people harming me. It was me that had done all these things and so much repentance and what a journey and crazy road it's been. But I have to tell you, I'm sure thankful that God uses broken people to do big things every day because in and out of the doors of Fit Camp 180 on a daily basis, I see hundreds and hundreds of miracles, people that have lost over a hundred pounds, people that have laid down drugs and alcohol, people that are six months, a year sober, people that are getting their marriage back together, people that are getting back on their feet, finding their career, people that are finding their self again after divorce. I mean, miracle after miracle happens in our awesome organization. And it took the broken road that it took to get us there. And I'm sure thankful mm -hmm. to be here now. I wouldn't trade my story for a million dollars but I would not want to relive it for 10 million, but I'm thankful to get to share a little bit of it today. Well, let me just circle back on the relapses. No doubt with those relapses was a monumental amount of shame that you had to walk through and overcome. How would you coach somebody to walk through that that's dealing with that type of shame? Well, in recovery, we deal with that a lot. It's very, very heartbreaking and guilt-stricken and shameful the things we do when we're in our disease of addiction. If I was talking to me or somebody that was in my shoes, I would tell them, you can't see the panoramic picture right now. All you can see is what's in front of you. And that's all you have to do is today. As long as you're sober today and you're living for God today, then you're a magnificent miracle. I don't care what yesterday says, and I don't care what people think about me. Today, we're walking forward and we're going to serve God because today we're a miracle. That's what I would tell them because all we have is today. Yesterday is over. Other people's opinions, that is about them. What they think about me, that is their, that's their thing, man. That has absolutely zero to do with me. Yesterday is gone. All we have is this 24-hour gift of a day to get up and love life and serve God. And it is too short of a life to live in guilt and shame. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get back up in the fight. It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. I've been knocked down a thousand times and I'm up a thousand and one. It matters how many times you can get back up. Get back up and stay the course. You can't see all that God is doing in this panoramic picture. Just keep doing the next right thing. And if you don't know what the next right thing is, just do the next thing right. What about fear? Gosh. Obviously, you face that big time in these decisions. What have you found to be the best way to overcome fear? My number one tool for that is I get up and I start the day with God. I get up and I spend 45 minutes to an hour with God. I listen to a podcast or a message and I read something out of my recovery book. I read something out of my, my Bible and I start getting my mind firing first thing in the morning 
with God's promises and the positive things that I need to be thinking about. The second thing I do that always helps me, no matter how much fear, stress, anxiety I'm going through, is I move. I move and I exercise. I make sure that I get 40 minutes to an hour of unbroken cardio resistance training, something that gets my mind locked out of the stress and the fear, and I can be in just my bubble for a minute and focus on my breathing, focus on the the worship music that's playing in my headphones, focus on this movement that I'm going to hit and take my mind off of the fears and the marketing meeting and the leadership meeting, the expansion meeting and all the things that I have going on, the fears of, of that and focusing on, oh man, I am a warrior in Christ today. I can lift these weights because God made me strong today. Look at me getting better today, getting stronger today, getting healthier today. And there's a a dopamine fill and an endorphin release that scientifically happens. And I feel love at the end of a workout. And I believe that God is, love is not something God does. It's who he is. So I feel God after I move and I am on the level. And when I say I'm on the level, I'm prioritized. These big mountains that I woke up with are now just little molehills. Everything is in its right shape, size. When I get up and I move, just like when God told me to move, he told me to to put those running shoes on and get out there and move. I'm obedient to that. And I get up even, especially when I don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. I say that again, especially when I don't feel like working out, I don't feel like jogging, I don't feel like moving. That is especially when I do it. I make sure that I get it in every single day because that puts my mind, my heart, my muscles, my spiritual awareness, my aura all on the right playing field. That's how I walk through fear each and every day. And a lot of times that, that doesn't do it. I need to get another human being. When I am truly fearful for something that could impact my food, my shelter, my clothing, I get another smarter, wiser, Christ-centered man, and we hash it out together. And you know, I, I think the three things that always help me to walk through fear are my fitness and my family. It is Christ, it is moving, and it is the, the human beings that have community with me and fellowship with me that help me walk through that. What is the biggest piece of advice that you tend to dispense to other people these days? If somebody came up to me and they needed advice on getting sober, I would say, let's go to a meeting. Let's work these 12 steps. Let's put God first. Let's do the hard things we need to do. If it's somebody that needs to lay down the food and they can't get a hold of their eating again, I would say, have you hit your knees and cried out to God? Because the only positive changes I've ever made start with Christ Jesus. The best advice I can give anybody is to know their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How can people find out more about you, Sean? Oh, they can find us on Facebook, Fit Camp 180. We have three locations in Oklahoma City area. We have one in Yukon, one in Edmond, and one in South Oklahoma City. I'm the Edmond owner and the franchise or owner and founder of the company. You can also find us on www.fitcamp180.com. That's the best way to find us. I would highly recommend anyone listening to this, go to the website and go to the About section. Watch the video. That's all I'm going to say. And I'll put a link in the show notes. (laughs) Check it out. You'll love it. Sean, as we finish here, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and platform to be able to to speak today and, and just tell people that you are so good. God, you are so good. Thank you for rescuing me and doing 
good things with my life. I thank you for that story every single day. God, thank you so much for breaking through that darkness with your radical light. I just pray right now, if anybody's listening to this and can hear my voice, God, and they need to make a change, or they need to lay something down, or they need to get something started, and, and they, need, they need to get into their calling, and they need to burn their boats and go all in, God, that you would just light their heart on fire today, that you would touch somebody's heart today and tell them they can do it, that you would make a move in somebody's heart today, God, and you would touch somebody, and that they would take that next step and they would start that business. They would put that bottle down. They would get up and start to walk, that they would start to eat healthy things, that they would start to seek you in the morning, God, that you would move, that your anointing would pour through this podcast and through other believers and non-believers ears and into their souls, and into their hearts, God, and that they would get up and they would move today, God, and they would move towards you with radical intention and radical action in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Sean, thank you. Loved your story, man. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.